0: first watch hello and welcome to an all new episode of the first watch podcast i'm zach and i'm here with cole how are you
1: i'm good how about you
0: i'm good let's get ready to rumble today we're here to talk about the latest box office smash, Creed 3, directed by Michael B. Jordan, the third film in the Creed franchise, I think, what, the eighth film in the Rocky plus Creed greater universe?
1: Yep, just about the uh RCCU. <laughs> I
0: guess. Sort of the Philly, LA fight scene. Yeah, we love it. That's actually given me a chance to go back through some of these previous movies. I'm curious what you've been up to. Have you been filling out your Oscars watch list for next week?
1: Yeah, I've got that all done. So I went through the short films, some of the documentaries that I still had to see. Not a lot to write home about. Just kind of an underwhelming year mm. on the shorts front, unfortunately.
0: Did you have any standouts, any favorites? The only one that I've really heard about is this animated one with the ostrich.
1: Yes, that one is pretty entertaining uh i believe it's called an ostrich told me the world is fake and i think i believe it which is just a ah. fun title to say but yeah it's kind of like this office workplace comedy where like someone has an existential crisis when they realize that they are a stop motion figure great setup great payoff for the joke it's pretty funny also really like Les it's nominated in live action shorts and it's this film about a bunch of kids in a italian orphanage on christmas eve if they're being forced to do all these things by the nuns, reenacting the nativity scene for people in the town to come pray to and all that. If you remember like Madeline, it's kind of similar vibe to that. Cute little French. Cute little Italian orphan kids and the stressed out nuns.
0: Yeah, I finally, I caught up with mostly things that you've already brought up, so I won't belabor them. But I caught up with Living, Mm -hmm. Causeway. I just did that Ukrainian one earlier, A House Made of Splinters. Mm Kind of just working through the rest. I think I... I bring up Marcel Vachel on the last one. We were talking about that with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but I hadn't seen it yet. But I did see that, and that crawled its way up into like my top 12 of the whole year. Just oh, really wow. wholesome, nice. I should have known when you made a come on, come on comparison that movie would be up <laughs> my alley. And I think you and James were dead on. Great mix of bitter and sweet together. So that's now my rooting interest in the animation category. Same. Anything else you caught up with? Yeah,
1: I've caught up with the horror comedy that's taken America by storm Cocaine Bear.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Elizabeth Banks delivering (laughs) a fake 30 Rock movie. We love to see it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. But you know what? It's a lot of fun. Set in 1985, Cocaine Bear is loosely based on the true story of a black bear that ate about 75 pounds of cocaine and then died immediately because that's what happens (laughs) when you eat 75 pounds of cocaine. But in this movie, what happens is when duffel bags full of cocaine are dropped out of the sky by smugglers over a national park in northeastern Georgia. Drug kingpin Sid White, played by Ray Liotta in his final film role, sends his loser son, Sad Sack Eddie, who is played by Alden Ehrenreich, in his first film since Solo, which was mm, five yeah. whole years ago. Yeah. Oof. He's good hair, so, you know, there's that. But he sends Eddie alongside his fixer, David, played by Osei Jackson Jr., to go recover the powder for him because, you know, a lot of people want their cocaine. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the same time, a single mother by the name of Sari, who's played by Kerry Russell, um, goes <laughs> off into the woods looking for her daughter, Dee Dee, played by Brooklyn Prince, and her daughter's best friend, Henry, who's played by Christian Convery, who both skipped school to go off into the woods and paint the waterfall, which is an activity that the mom and the daughter were planning to do together until weekend plans for them change because she wants to introduce her daughter to her new boyfriend.
0: This is a lot of plot for a movie called Cocaine Yes, bear.
1: And we're getting there, we're getting there. So <laughs> the kids run off into the woods, the mom goes after them, and she enlists the park ranger Liz, played by Margaret Muttendale and nature expert Peter, played by Jesse Tyler Ferguson, to go help her go through the woods and find the kids. So you've got all these different people running around in the woods. But what happens when a black bear starts ingesting cocaine, becomes addicted, and is ready to kill and eat anyone who's got any of it on them, people start dropping one by one.
0: (laughs) Gotta shout out the Americans for the Carrie Russell
1: and Margot Martindale (laughs) reunion. Good crowd.
0: Like, did the crowd have fun with it?
1: Oh yeah, everyone was enjoying it a lot, and so did I. There's a scene in this when a character is viciously murdered by the bear, because he had cocaine all over him. The bear rips off his leg and the leg, you know, falls to the ground from the tree that this guy was on. And the bear goes up to the severed leg and does a line right on <laughs> the severed leg. That's exactly what I'm looking for.
0: <laughs> I remember on the Jurassic World episode, you were talking about the Dominus Raptor getting on the roof and braying at the moon like, this is what this should be. Mm-hmm. So consistency (laughs)
1: it's exactly what it needs to be it does take about and it's a 95 minute movie and it spends like a solid half hour Uh... setting up this like altman-esque cast of characters (laughs) sure right 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 you know it's a little funny but it takes a while to get going
0: can you imagine an altman version of like a bunch of people in the woods getting attacked by a bear that would actually be a fucking incredible setup for a film
1: i think i would love it it'd be my favorite movie of all time but (laughs) For what it is, I went to go see it, and I got exactly what I was looking for, so had a lot of fun. I mean, Universal has kind of found themselves in the middle of a hot streak at the moment. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you would call it hot, but you know, Violent Knight, <laughs> Megan, Cocaine Bear. I did
0: catch up with Megan. I didn't like it at all. But the, <laughs> it, here's the thing. Right now, the top five movies at the box office are like Creed 3, Cocaine Bear, Jesus Revolution, some anime movie, and then Ant-Man, Quantumania, quietly dying in the corner and i don't know i even when the movies themselves don't appeal to me i just like to see variety and entertainment that's up and down the rating scale for kids for families for adults right and like yeah
1: that's like more of that is great we need a healthy ecosystem
0: as steven spielberg said tom cruise saves cinemas and it's our responsibility to keep them on track by supporting goofy shit mm-hmm. when it's not just another piece of corporate schlock because it's another week has gone by and neither of us have still seen quantum <laughs> uh, i will not
1: be watching that until it hits disney plus
0: <laughs> i look forward to reading your one and a half star <laughs> of that when it comes uh, yeah that sort of moves us in i guess the one other thing that i'll talk about because i did it as a little bit of prep not even just for this conversation Because we are about to talk about the third film of a series, which, as I already said, is also the eighth film of another series. So we're going to kind of start it in fourth gear here, rolling downhill. I did catch myself up with first Ryan Coogler's Creed from 2015. Let's just lay it on the table. Probably the best sports movie in recent memory. Probably the smartest legacy sequel that we have. Oh,
1: absolutely. In
0: terms of just reaching in and using pieces from Rocky, from the music to the characters, to the setting of Philadelphia, to emotional dynamics, all through like all five movies, really, but especially from like one, two, four, and then establishing its own identity and leaning in with this relationship that Kugler had started to build with Michael B. Jordan through Fruitvale Station, which would eventually manifest with Black Panther and Killmonger and everything, and just really lighting him up and putting him center stage. Sylvester Stallone, win the Oscar that year. Right or was he nominated? He, he was win?
1: nominated and we all thought he was gonna win and then he became right. Mark Rylance and it was like That's huh?
0: right for Bridge of Spies. I actually okay, I like Stallone and Creed more, but Rylance is really, really good at Bridge of Spies, so I can't personally judge too yeah. harshly. But yeah, it was just a joy to revisit Creed. Yeah. just kinda I feel like I've been posting about it for a week since I saw it because it just <laughs> it's such a smart movie. It's so exciting. How many other legacy sequels will pull something from the history of those movies and make you feel like, wow, this is the biggest and most mythic thing in the world, even if you're not the biggest fan of Rocky. yeah, I feel like they deepen everything that those movies were about. They articulate everything that they're about in this like new, modern era. And I think the thing that's smartest about them is that they show how boxing has changed since 1976, mm-hmm. when the original film came out. Significantly, it's no longer the heavyweight championships. It's the lightweight championships. It's much more ESPN, digital photography, sports talking head, like rigorous training for big payday fights. And you're not necessarily seeing so much of like the rough and tumble social realism of that, like really grimy, gritty '70s stuff. Yeah,
1: it's it's the commercialization of it all,
0: kind of bringing it into the modern HD era of sports. Oh yeah. And the celebrity, too. I think like social media, celebrity, they all play a big part of it. And what's so good about updating all those things is that they retain Rocky Balboa and Apollo Creed as these places in history within the context of the movie so that history exists in fantasy as the present really mimics what our real world is like. Mm -hmm. And it's just this brilliant fusion that gets to draw out like all the emotion and all the detail, all the authenticity. Really great movie. Kugler, we need him back in the realm of making movies for like MGM and not Kevin Feige. Yeah.
1: One more Black Panther movie and then run away, do something else.
0: Call up Jonathan Majors. He seems ready and willing. Yeah. Get him away from there, too. <laughs> I didn't have a chance, sadly, to rewatch Creed 2, but I know that you like Creed 2.
1: Yeah. I think what I really love about the Creed series as a whole is the way that it manages to feel very modern while still having an old sense of timelessness to them because it almost feels like you know take away the modern technology it feels like something that you would be watching in 1976 or 1977 they have that blend of different time eras and it handles it so well and i know some people are like indifferent on creed too but honestly i like that one a lot too it's got some really great stuff with ivan drago and his son
0: and that's such a like when you watch rocky 4 that's a very cartoonish character in a fairly exaggerated movie. But it pulls out the drama in that that I think has existed since that original Stallone script. Like it's always been a drama series, even more than it's been a sports series at times. I think. Yeah,
1: it's melodrama.
0: Creed retains that part of it really well. You know, you get the emotions expressed through these fights or training sequences or rivalries in terms of the modern and retro. The one thing to me, that stands out so much about the first Creed, but all of them really is the use of music. Mm. And particularly, you have like rappers come in and do a verse over like some classic Rocky theme. And it's incredible. I believe the score Mm -hmm. for that first one is Ludwig Göransson, particularly the moments where they bring out the Rocky theme at critical places, but used with tremendous restraint. In fact, I think when we look at what the plot of the first Creed movie is, it's Adonis Creed, who is the illegitimate son, of Apollo Creed wants to become a fighter. And in fact, it's it's kind of more than a want because he doesn't need to like Rocky did for money because he, you know, has been adopted by yeah. Apollo Creed's wife, his widow. And has a comfortable life and a comfortable job, but he feels compelled to go out and fight. But he doesn't want to just cloak himself in his father's name and ride that reputation into success. He wants to make it on his own and earn everything that he has. And I think the movie is kind of about how that's impossible. And the reason that's so significant is that's what Kugler has to do with Creed. He's like, I don't just want to be Rocky again. I want to do my own thing and be my own movie. But then you find through these moments of restrained usage of the classic iconography and sounds and everything, that that is part of like the destiny of that movie. It's part of the destiny of that character. It's like, that's your name. You never escape your past or your reputation or your family or anything.
1: Yeah, you're still building on legacy no matter what.
0: And then that's what makes it such a smart legacy sequel is that it contends with the idea of legacy inside of Adonis Creed's heart and Rocky's, you know, uh, as yeah. such a rich character who's thinking about what is my legacy now that I'm older and you know there's this new generation and everything.
1: I think that Creed and Creed 2 handle Rocky's character very, very well.
0: Interesting note because he's not in 3. For nope. Inauspicious reasons, really. Uh, do you know about that whole situation?
1: I'm not sure what went down, but at the end of the day, he's not really in it, and I think he's a little upset by it, but like yeah. not crushed.
0: It's so basically the situation. Rocky, as a franchise, is owned by Irwin Winkler, the producer of the original film, not at all mm-hmm. by Sylvester Stallone, yeah. and Winkler's kids, therefore, are kind of in control of the rights and what gets made. After the success of Creed 1, Creed 2, Stallone wanted to make like a prequel series. And I don't know if the prequel series was oriented around Rocky Balboa or what, but it was just kind of meant to be like the early days of boxing, like in the 60s, maybe the 50s, maybe even earlier to like Mickey, who knows, I don't know. But he wrote a treatment for it and basically got shot down like, hey, we're not going to do that. And then a short while later, they announced at MGM that they were going to do a Drago series with no Stallone involvement. Like he had not been consulted on it or anything and he was pissed. And because he was pissed, he refused to do Creed 3. He refused to be part of it. Um, And that's very complicated, and it gets into some like thorny creator rights type of issues. Mm -hmm. But I do think in terms of this story, where Creed 2 leaves that character...
1: It's a good spot.
0: It's a little elegy to that character that's very touching. It's a great way to end it. And I think it's appropriate for Adonis to be the focus of these movies without it being Rocky still, where it yeah. can be Adonis Creed and his family and his rivals, and that's okay. And it's a perfect place for Michael B. Jordan to step in and have his directorial debut, to put his spin on the franchise and take it more fully into that direction. Because I think, for me, the hindrance of Creed Two relative to the first one is that while it is a good Rocky movie and a pretty great Drago family movie, it's an okay Creed movie. It kind of isn't. It doesn't feel like it's a Creed movie, because it's balancing mm. all these other different characters and situations. One thing that I really like in Creed 3 is that it brings it entirely into him and his relationship.
1: Creed 3 focuses on Adonis Creed, played by Michael B. Jordan, as he has officially retired from boxing in the ring, enjoying life with his wife, Bianca, who's played by Tessa Thompson, his mom, Marianne, played by Felicia Rashad, their daughter Amara who's played by Mila Davis-Kent, and they're adapting to raising a deaf child. They speak in sign language throughout the film with her and even teach other characters how to speak with her, which I found to be really touching and well done. But everything gets a little shaken up when Damian Anderson, who was Adonis' childhood friend from over 20 years ago, Arise out of nowhere after spending 18 years in prison for a crime that they had both committed, but Adonis fled the scene of the crime and Damien had to pay the price for everything. And Damien, who's played by Jonathan Majors, wants to become the heavyweight champion of the world and he is not going to stop at anything, even if it means betraying Adonis's trust and throwing that friendship aside.
0: Right off the bat, kind of what I was getting at with Creed 2. Going to Drago is something that on paper, it's like, well, Ivan Drago killed Apollo Creed in Rocky IV. Like, that's how that movie starts. And so there's this, oh, it's the son of these two fighters. But it really, like, that's a Rocky conflict. Yeah. That character is from Rocky's past. He's really not from Adonis's past. Whereas this character is entirely about Adonis and how he sees himself and where he came from. These two characters met each other in a group home that they lived in together before mm-hmm. Marianne adopted Adonis. So it's in that period between when his biological mother died and that adoption took place where he was just kind of a ward of the state living from, you know, foster care center to group home to a foster home, etc. So it was a darker, rougher period of Adonis's life that's been established in these movies. And now we're getting in and unpacking it and pulling out characters from that, which I think is a really, really great way to just center it on his past and then kind of use that as a conflict with his present family, how he's developed so much, how he's a married man, he's a father, he's a businessman, and that this guy that's been arrested has basically been suspended in time for 18 years with this one dream because he hasn't had, you know, as he puts it, Adonis has been living his life. Whether that's really true or not, debatable. But He's had the opportunity to live a life, whereas this other character's been incarcerated and has not. Yeah,
1: there's jealousy almost.
0: Majors plays this with quietly simmering anger that feels like he could just snap at any time.
1: And snap your neck at the same time. <laughs>
0: because he's fucking huge. <laughs> Both of them are like obviously quite in shape and large in this movie, Michael B. Jordan's been in this fighting shape as this character in all these movies, and in Black Panther, when I first saw Majors, first thing I think I ever saw him in was Last Black Man in San Francisco, mm-hmm. where he's just kind of like the quiet theater. He's like doing his little sketches and everything, and now he's
1: like brash, huge. Now he's roided out, and <laughs> oh my god, the training scene in IMAX, oh is so hot. <laughs>
0: In terms of the quiet anger and the intensity, he still has that inwardness that you might think of from his character from Last Black Man in San Francisco. You get the impression of somebody who has been living inside of his own head for a very, very, very long time. A lot of these thoughts have started to stiffen, crystallize, and get coated in emotion. Something that Jordan said in the run-up to this movie that I latched onto and that a lot of people latched onto is that the fight scenes have an anime inspiration visually, but I also mm. think that we have to consider that it is baked right into the heart of these two rival characters. It is something that is like purely shonen to the point that when we see the flashback scene, the kid's got like a Naruto poster, he's got a Dragon Ball poster, he's got a Loop in the Third poster, he's like a weep. <laughs> Jordan let his like personal interests into this character and I think it's something that the movie wears on its sleeve very
1: proudly It really opens another artistic avenue for this franchise to take.
0: The movie opens up and you see the Conlon fight not the first Conlon fight but a rematch between Adonis Creed and Conlon which is like the fight that Creed retires from and it's Like you're watching it pretty normal, but then you see these moments where everything kind of gets slower. You kind of see the fight the way that an athlete would, where you're noticing more detail with the camera that's not quite like exactly realistic in real time, but more expressive and subjective.
1: You see Adonis move as he focuses on which parts of Conlon that he needs to hit.
0: What's unguarded? Where can I hit him and hurt him the worst? It kind of reminded me of those Guy Ritchie Sherlock movies. Have I was scenes. just about to say. Yeah. But this is like, it's less corny, I think. One, because I guess maybe we've had the couple of movies to establish Jordan as Adonis as a great fighter in these movies. So it's like, we buy what he's doing. And two, I think it, even though it's anime stylized, it's never cartoonish. It's still well within <laughs> the realm of what a boxer would be doing in a fight.
1: And I know originally he was planning to take it even further and have like subtitles for like what the both of them are thinking during the final fight which uh that would be cool
0: yeah i do think that there's a little bit of room left to push it further to have one more fights every rocky movie i kind of leave it and i think like oh yeah there were two maybe three fights in that movie why weren't there eight (laughs) i'm just greedy that way whenever i see like a the anime influence here naturally i think brings to mind like a martial arts movie and whenever I think about that I I just kind of always want it to be like a tournament or something so that there's mm-hmm. more stuff built around that but I think you know this is set in the boxing world which understands that you don't just have a boxing match once a week you gotta prep really hard for it it takes a lot of time and the drama of this movie is about how you've only got so much of a window in your life as an athlete for those fights to take place yeah. and that's something that affects Every character. Donis Creed is now on the other side of 30. He's older. He's looking to become more of a promoter. He's got a young fighter who he's promoting out of the Delphi gym, who is like right at the prime of his career. And he ends up having a fight with Dame where he gets injured. And it's like that injury takes away months of that window for him, which only exists for like two to five years, maybe less for certain fighters.
1: Time is of the essence and every single fight does so much damage on your body.
0: The best fighters in the world leave this thing with, like, their eyes fucking swollen shut, have multiple concussions and everything.
1: Like, you're never going to heal again.
0: I do kind of think the movie could take that further, too. And maybe, like, later sequels would. That's not the three focus, but, like, at some point, that damage builds up. And they do address that before the training montage. Yeah. Character's name is Duke. He's the son of another (laughs) character named Duke from
1: previous (laughs) movies. Somebody laughs with that character.
0: It's a very funny movie. I think the drama's a little thinly plotted. It's a little tropey in some ways, as all sports movies kind of tend yeah, to be. it's
1: very direct.
0: But within the character performances, there's a lot of nuance and complexity of emotion that I think is really rich to work through, even though on paper it's pretty straightforward.
1: Right, I mean, it's pretty simple, but you know... If you give Michael B. Jordan, Tessa Thompson, and Felicia Versaad to really dig into that, they get really great results out of it.
0: There's a great scene where they're all sitting on the couch. Quietly, Adonis and Bianca are trying to talk Marianne into coming and living with them because Marianne has had a stroke. And Marianne is resisting them, but she's also like doing sign language words with their young daughter. And it's like, All the characters are balancing these things in their head, trying to find the point in time when they can say what they want to say and have it be heard and have it be understood. And I just think that, you know, it's something that we see with actors that become directors a lot. Jordan just has a really innate sense of rhythm, I feel like, with those performances.
1: Absolutely. There's a really great moment when she's enjoying a glass of wine and she's like, I'm not going to have my stroke tonight. I'll have it another night.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bianca's laughing. Adonis is like, that's not funny. (laughs) i think jordan's presence lends adonis a certain it's gonna sound like a dig immaturity like he seems like a kid to me and always has for all three of these movies like he's still wrapping his head around it he's still figuring it out he's still trying a little too hard to control every issue by gripping it really tight
1: Which really speaks to his skills as an actor, because every single time I see him, I was reading this tweet the other day that just was killing me, because they said, Michael B. Jordan is hot, but he also looks too responsible that, like, that looks like a man who knows where his birth certificate is. (laughs) He's
0: got a youthfulness that plays against some of the drama here, being a man coming into middle age and dealing with that, but being a little immature about his own emotions. Mm -hmm. But then... We also get to see him interacting with his daughter in ways that are just completely charming to me. Oh, yeah. I think during our conversation about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we talked about Knock at the Cabin, and I was Mm -hmm. like, my favorite moments of that are like these three or four scattered moments where it's just sort of a family, being a family. Mm -hmm. And that's something that all of these Creed movies especially do with Gusto. They're just totally happy to luxuriate in the presence of a family being together. And I love that. I think that makes everything feel more filling and rich. And it heightens that sense of loss that you feel when you think about Damien, who doesn't have Mm -hmm. any of this stuff.
1: He's got like this one tiny motel room, and that's it.
0: Right. Where he's, you know, doing workouts in it like it's his prison jail cell. Every inch of Mm -hmm. it feels like it's being occupied by this amount of stuff, and this amount of stuff, and this amount of stuff, because he's used to Uh, living within that.
1: Just, just pent up anger when nowhere to go
0: until he gets that opportunity to first be a sparring partner as i was mentioning there's a fighter at delphi who's the current champ felix chavez and adonis is trying to basically set up and promote a fight between him and drago he's trying to pump this up to be like you know the fight of the year big main event pay-per-view and during a party Drago gets attacked. Like he gets his hand broken. Guy like yeah. comes up and smashes his fucking hand. And mm-hmm. this opens the door for Damien to become the challenger for Felix Chavez. In like, I don't know, what is only the sixth most completely fucking unrealistic matchup in the Rocky Creed franchise. <laughs> I do enjoy these movies a lot, but they love be like, what if a guy who had no fucking business fighting the champ got to fight the champ? <laughs>
1: there's the fun
0: and like those impossible odds and everything else i really like the damien and chavez fight particularly for its introductions Mm. which i think speak to the real world of boxing and maybe a little bit of pro wrestling as well Mm. but then that anime thing that i was talking about where you see the guy come out in big skull mask and the big clouds of smoke
1: that was great
0: bright expressionistic he's got the whole headdress on and everything they're like fighting heroes
1: As much as boxing is, you know, like a physical sport, there's also the entertainment aspect to it. They're acting.
0: Pumping that crowd up. Almost every one of these types of movies, like, for example, in the original Creed, at the very end of it, he fights pretty Ricky Conlon, who is the champion. And at the very beginning of that fight, they're booing Adonis, and they're cheering for Conlon. And at the end of it, they're Creed, 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 Creed. And it's about how that crowd turns, and like the emotions of them supporting one fighter, the other fighter. And that's all part of it. It's all kind of theater. yeah. And because it's theater, you get to put all your emotions into it. And it becomes this expression of anger, resentment, competitiveness.
1: The ring is a stage as much as anything else.
0: Something that stuck out to me here in Creed 3 that spoke backwards to all the others is about how it's a place where men bond. Mm -hmm. Because through the fight, they become allies. Just like they would in an anime. Like Drago is sparring with creed in this movie and creeds promoting him. like they've become business associates through the last movie if not necessarily friends apollo and rocky became lifelong friends got Mm -hmm. these bonds that form through the heat of battle that can't be broken basically oh yeah the end of the creed conlon fight at that first creed movie conlon trash talking him through the whole movie you're a fake creed all this stuff and at the end of it he's like respect you're the future of this league because Mm -hmm. that's what this is like that's what the competition i don't want to say that's what it's about but like from a dramatic perspective in movies that's what it's about yeah
1: there's so much character development that happens in between each punch
0: which with that fight between damien and felix chavez we just like damien is a desperate fighter he's like a brawler and he's pretty not i don't even just want to call him dirty. it's like he's opportunistic in a way that's like we haven't established rules to say this is dirty because nobody else is doing shit like you're doing it, man. He's trying to hurt people.
1: He's trying to kill.
0: <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Which entertaining as hell to watch.
1: Oh my god. The scene when he's back in the corner, you know, they're like prepping for the next round, and he spits out the broken tooth.
0: Ugh, yeah. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> this speaks backwards, though, again, to that original Rocky, where everything was a little bit more of a barroom fight. In the first fight that you see in Rocky, Rocky himself gets headbutted by the other fighter. And when the bell rings after Rocky's knocked him out, he's just punching this other unconscious guy while he's laying on the floor after yeah. the bell's rung. So, like, there's always been this kind of dirtiness and this kind of street element to boxing, if you will, that I think this brings up. Because now we're in this hyper sanitized HD
1: ESPN showtime.
0: Everybody's watching all around the world. So there's not as much of that, but it's bringing that back into it, that kind of ferocity and fighting for your life, Mm -hmm. which I think is such a big part of why boxing is so cinematic Mm
1: -hmm. is because
0: I think that it feels like that more than any other sport. Yeah,
1: the body's in motion you can really focus on in a way that you can't really do with any other sport.
0: It's almost like every hit can be a new shot set up too. You don't always need it to be so fluid. Part of that's like shoemaker. Just Mm -hmm. cutting up Raging Bull and being like, that's how you do boxing right there. But it's really had a central part of movies since movies existed in the 20s, 1930s, all the way back.
1: Right. It's that one-on-one aspect, I think, that really carries it.
0: And then I think secondarily, or primarily in some cases, the class issue. It's that Mm -hmm. classic sports archetype of making it the ticket because it's individual and it's like... Individual excellence rising above the mm-hmm. squalor of whatever, yeah. and then movies like Rocky that work to subvert that in some ways and be like, "Can you ever beat the system?" Right. Boxing is a sport where guys get fucking concussed for a small payday, and right. that's just for an opportunity to get concussed for a bigger payday. I think of like Rocco and his brothers, mm. that classic, Italian neo-realistic, the family struggling financially and you know what it does to these characters all the time to be part of that grind
1: oh absolutely it engages the audience in a way that you know a movie about golf never could
0: (laughs) right there's not that passion or violence
1: how engaged was your crowd
0: i saw this as an early release i saw it on wednesday before it opened on thursday friday so it was a completely full the auditorium and it wasn't thunderous till the final fight at which point it became actually it was kind of the training montage before the final fight mm. you could really feel everybody start to like perk up and be like oh shit it's happening we're going yeah
1: mine was like full on thunderous applause oh yeah by the time the final fight started and then all the way through
0: in the movie we get to learn about what transpired in the past the crime that was committed by both Adonis and Damien that got Damien incarcerated and Adonis ran away. And all I really want to shout out about it is that I think in more than just the fight scenes, we see a really assured directorial vision from Jordan. Mm. Like there's that shot where he's running up the drive with all the palm trees and everything and you see a shadow, shot. just lots of stuff like that. I think it's, you know, it's a movie where you could rest on the cast, you could rest on the lore, you could rest on the fights. But he doesn't. I think he really goes out of his way to, like, make it an engaging visual experience, too. Yeah,
1: it's a fantastic-looking movie.
0: Speaking this is a weird way to parallel all this, but during that scene, Adonis gives Damien a gift. And it's a ticket from Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, Rumble in the Jungle, which, I don't know how much it's an homage, but it feels like an homage. Because that is the subject of the documentary, When We Were Kings. And When We Were Kings was shot by the same cinematographer who shot the original Creed, which I think is just beautiful little full circle. Uh, That cinematographer's name is Maurice Alberti. And she also shot The Wrestler and Brum. She's kind of like a documentary cinematographer. There's a very like authentic realism to her style. Mm -hmm. And I think it was such a savvy play by Kugler to go and get somebody that's filmed one of the great boxing movies of all time for your boxing movie. Yeah. And so that just kind of felt like a little nod to, to When We Were Kings, if you've never seen it, I think it's probably my favorite sports documentary, it's either that or Hoop Dreams, yeah. but really, really worthwhile, like fantastic documentary. Mm-hmm. Will make you want to watch boxing, even if you don't think that you like the sport. <laughs> <laughs> I will say just briefly, as well, I just like how unpredictable and dangerous Damien ultimately feels at any yeah. moment. You just don't know what he
1: could do. That scene at the beach, especially.
0: I mean, a gun is pulled, Damien takes the gun, and for the remainder of the conversation, you're just aware this guy has a gun on it. And you're like, I mean, shit. <laughs> I,
1: it's like, is it going to shoot? Or... I wouldn't put it
0: past him at all. <laughs> There's such a pain fear. In that fight that he has with Chavez, when he wins the fight with Chavez, he's prancing around the ring, totally proud of himself, elated, so happy, looking over to Adonis, looking for anybody to reaffirm his happiness. And Everyone else is horrified. Yeah.
1: They look at him like he committed a murder. I I mean... (laughs) Not far off.
0: The way that we get to see the fight up close and in detail, we see he's trying to injure his opponent. You know, if this arena is a place where you earn that brotherhood and like become closer, this is the opposite of that. You don't get there this way.
1: He doesn't see it as a chance for brotherhood. He sees it as a battlefield.
0: It's something to prove everybody else is wrong. I was wronged. Now I'm going to wrong other people. And it's that cycle perpetuating. Yeah,
1: which is something that also gets played around with the daughter as well. Because Mm -hmm. the whole subplot with the daughter is that she wants to fight too. There's this really great scene at the school. One of her classmates steals her drawing off of her table and rips the page in half. And the daughter punches the kid, but she's punching directly at the camera. And then (laughs) go cuts right to the broken paper. It's just like a hilarious, but also really great cut.
0: That's a great echo of the first movie, Mm. because then Adonis and Bianca come in to talk to the teacher. And it's a parallel to when Marianne comes to meet Adonis for the very first time. And the social worker that's with Adonis is like, he's a good kid just, and then Marianne finishes it, fights Mm -hmm. all the time. (laughs) Yeah, It's just who they are. Even when their daughter is being scolded Adonis is kind of like stomping around the house. It's like, well, she was wrong. I, what, do you, what do you do? You know, if somebody does you wrong. You're just not supposed to stand up for yourself. What do you mean, <laughs> grown ass man?
1: And Bianca brings in the point that, you yeah, know, their daughter probably should know how to fight. But she also needs to know why she wants to fight.
0: I think you could accuse all of the writing of this movie as being really broad. But it just works for me. Like, it registers as true. Yeah.
1: I mean, again, this is melodrama. We're not looking for, you know, Ibsen here.
0: Well, and it's the melodrama of how does a man in the modern world, whose father died before he was born, but was from 50s, 60s, and 70s, where there's this certain type of macho, we don't talk about shit, we just punch through it. The only way Rocky knows how to get out of his own head and out of his own life, be a fighter, that exists through the next generation. And it's how do we, now looking at a third generation beyond us, Mm -hmm. deal with the fact that One, we don't want her to be another Rocky, but at the same time, we know that if we give Adonis every opportunity in the world, he still wants to fight because it's part of who he is.
1: Yeah, he just accepts that.
0: It's always going to be a conflict because you can't just like Marianne did say, no, you can't do this. No, you're not going to do this. Get out of my house. Right. Because he's just going to leave your house and go do
1: it. Right. You can't hide anything.
0: She just has that same passion that he did of like watching her dad's fights. Mm -hmm. Just like he used to watch his dad's fights, that kind of thing which I think is just great. That part of it taps into my own memories and experiences of sports, which are so wrapped up in like watching them with your grandpa or your dad or your uncle or whoever. Mm -hmm. It's bonding. These Rocky movies, I think, I probably already said it a little bit earlier, but as good as the fights are in many of the movies, the training montages are almost always really the better part of them. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would say that the training montage here is the better part of it, but it is a great dual training montage where we see donnie and yeah
1: the the differing styles and how they train is really shown
0: i like bringing back drago to be adonis's sparring partner during these sequences because he just looks completely immovable as a man (laughs) how does it not hurt you to hit him
1: right it looks like you could throw a train at him and (laughs) he would just still be standing there
0: great moment where adonis is like running and dragging a plane behind him You said you saw this at IMAX, right? Yeah, I
1: did. So I got to see all those big, beautiful bodies in motion <laughs> on
0: IMAX. <laughs> but you just feel like there's this mounting, like they're headed right towards each other, you know, yeah. as they are from before the movie even starts.
1: Mm-hmm. And then everything comes to a head at Dodger Stadium,
0: where it's the Battle of Los Angeles, and Damien comes into Nipsey. And what the fuck does Adonis come into? Because he comes big into Sonic. Some- big shot
1: <laughs> detroit
0: it's
1: a battle for la and you're coming in with detroit come on man explain
0: at least do like Meek mill right like do some philly shit tie yeah. us back to the first movie
1: <laughs> no Dre, tupac anything like my god
0: i think that there's a credible amount of reasons to be rooting for damien in this movie Like, I think that it's possible to just sort of watch this and be on his side.
1: (laughs) I mean, when he walked in to LA music and then Adonis walked into Big Sean, I was like, do I want to switch sides? (laughs)
0: Hmm. I think it plays with that really well. You have a lot of empathy for both of these characters, but you're like, Damien is out of control. And if he continues to be out of control, he's going to probably hurt somebody or hurt himself or go back to prison or something bad. Yeah, And it's literally, you feel like this professional boxing fight is make or break. For like this dude's soul, like it's a lightsaber duel in Star Wars.
1: Oh, 100%.
0: And I love that. To me, when you're making an action movie or a combat movie or a sports movie or anything, just tying this into the emotional perspectives of the characters so that each flourish feels like an extension of their internal-external conflict.
1: Yeah, You get so invested about this battle for one guy's soul that the entire stadium can melt away. And it's just two guys in the ring surrounded by fog.
0: I love the imagery of their uniforms. Creed's in the Mm all-white and Damien's in the all-black. And he's kind of got, like, this, like, skirt. He's got, like, the compression shorts, and it's like a skirt with the diamonds and the Africa. A really cool-looking fit. The black gloves, the classic cowboy-type imagery. Yeah.
1: Very dramatic. And then the slow motion kicks in, and then at one point when they fight and they get to the ropes, the ropes turn into a jail cell.
0: So it's obviously Damien's history in prison. And it's about how, like, guilt and shame and regret are Mental prisons for both of these two people. Yeah. They're both fighting to exercise these shared demons that they have about this thing that happened to both of them. Not just the crime and the prison sentence, but the group home and the man that assaulted both of them, like the shared trauma that led to the committing of that crime and things yeah. like that. So all of this is just wrapped up into you know the two of them throwing blows at each other so that it's like, as they damage wound and fight, they're also healing. They're also, like, working through their own shit. The thing I most liked about the disappearing audience trick is that they stay disappeared. It's not something that happens for a moment and they exchange some dialogue and they come back. It's like you sit there in that fight in almost silence for almost like a full minute, two
1: minutes. Yeah.
0: And it's like the majority of the fight, like you come back and it's the 12th round. Yeah.
1: Whoa. Yeah, it really lets you get invested in the battle between these two characters.
0: I think it's just like James said in Crouching Tiger, it's give me the fantasy, break reality. Let me see something that like only a movie can let me see that a boxing match on, you know, HBO or whatever, you can't see it there. right?
1: You can't pay-per-view on this one
0: it's unlike any other boxing match you've ever seen and I think that that infusion of style just gives a classic genre new emotional depth with the rivalry and new visual depth like that's just expressive and it just feels really 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 different than any other boxing movie I've ever seen because of it
1: it really breathes some new life into all of this
0: which you know for this movie that's like coming and taking number one at the box office and everything like I just eighth rocky movie and you come out the gate with something new that feels exciting. That's cool. And I feel like it's really hard to do. I don't think you just wake up in the morning and do that. No,
1: you you don't, which makes it even more impressive.
0: I think Jordan had a perfect idea of what the emotional tone of this was, what the visual style of this was,
1: and how to execute it. And, And it really pays off.
0: For as much as it breaks reality, just like I was saying earlier, it never breaks... The rules of boxing. Mm. It feels like they're just having a real boxing match, but the rest of the stylization is their emotion and internal stuff. Yeah. You're never seeing something where it's like, oh, he hits him and his arm explodes. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> obviously, that would be what was happening. But you know, you watch like the Wachowski Speed Racer, direct adaptation of an anime, yeah. and they do things that are impossible in terms mm. of race cars. This right. is like impossible fantasy imagery, but for the most part, the fighting remains a boxing fight. So much that their moves like Damien does this thing where he folds his two arms in front of him to block. And that's like a move that he goes to over and over and over. And we see how Adonis learns to counter that and work around that.
1: It lets you really read what's going through their minds as they go from move to move.
0: Like I just mentioned because of the episode where James was talking about the fantasy, but you're combining that breaking reality with the legibility that's just like Crouching Tiger. The only note that I have is that if we could have three of these fights instead of one, (laughs) I would like that more. (laughs) But I understand you gotta warm people up. I was curious how people would respond to this and I'm happy that they seem to be liking it and supporting it.
1: It's the first sports movie to open to more than $100 million internationally.
0: I think it hit Really close to 60 domestic, which is the largest opening for any movie in this series. Yeah, Hopefully it has legs and people keep enjoying it. I was, you know, just when you talk about, oh, it's fresh, it's new, it's different than the seven movies that preceded it, there's always a chance for people to freak out and not take it well.
1: There is, especially when it comes to number eight in a series, (laughs) but... This is a genuine crowd pleaser that I haven't seen audiences disengaged in a hot minute.
0: I think that infusion of Shonen, I've talked about it a few different times, but one thing that I think is almost unspoken, but probably understood by anybody who's in this world is that in my lifetime, as athletes have you know, been my age, your age, younger than the two of us, we've gotten an influx of athletes who are really into Dragon Ball. For instance, like there's a player on the Sacramento Kings, De'Aaron Fox, and I can just remember him playing like Dragon Ball Xenoverse on his Switch on like an ESPN interview. And it's like because we reached this generation of kids that were raised on Tsunami or Adult Swim or like the anime of my childhood, they've also those properties, those series like in the movie Dragon Ball Super Broly, it's like a hip hop mixtape
1: bringing that
0: into the heart of the American sports movie with a black director, black cast, I have to say it's pretty inspired, in my opinion. Like, it just feels like a completely native bit. And it was just something somebody had to walk around, walk up and pluck that fruit. And it was Michael B. Jordan. He was the guy that was like, this is the way. Yeah. There's also a lot of crossover because in anime, you've got sports anime, like volleyball or racing. So there's lots of different stuff that's not just like the fight stuff that would also kind of connect to rocky training montage becoming a champion team dynamics all that stuff
1: and the ability to take all these specific references and rework them in a way that speaks not just to the anime viewers but to people like me who will look at anime in the same way that like a grandmother might look <laughs> at a PlayStation 5 and be like what is this
0: it's very nice dear <laughs> <laughs> it's a way to fuse two very well-established genres between shonen, which has had a publication history that runs back as far as the war and beyond mm-hmm. back to the 1800s. And then the sports film, like the boxing story and just finding what is shared between those two forms of storytelling and fusing them together to bring out what's new and exciting about both of them too. Yeah. Same thing that you're talking about with like Leone taking Kurosawa and making it into a Western, the samurai film and the Western film.
1: It's that remix of the old and the new.
0: Brings us right back to what all the Creed films represent, that blend of old and new. I want to shout out the scene after that last fight where it's just Donnie and Dame in the locker room together.
1: Oh, that was great.
0: I think it's like the best acting of both of their careers, just about. Yeah? Quietly sitting side by side and you feel, you know, the fight's been won but you feel the defeat. You understand why the defeat's good, but why it's complicated, why it hurts. Kind of open this talking about Marvel. And I don't always just want to make it about them so I can pick on Bullet Train or whatever else. Movies are really afraid to let you sit in a moment like that and just let you feel the triumph fade into a cold pit of reality and defeat and disappointment.
1: It's that back of the bus moment in The Graduate. It's like, well, what happens Mm -hmm. now?
0: But you feel like something's healed. What happens now is probably if there's a Creed 4, Damien's on the good guys team. Yeah. In some way, shape, or form. Whatever that leads to. Like, they've been able to reconcile because it was both triumphant and disappointing. Because it was able to hit both of those two emotions, mm-hmm. it was healing. It was productive. Yeah. You don't just forget Damien. He doesn't just walk out a nobody. Fuck him. Bye. It's mm-hmm. not like that. He's a man, too, and you care about where he's gonna go from here. Just like Two makes you care about Drago, just like one makes you care about whatever.
1: Yeah. You want to see, like, the natural evolution of these characters.
0: Yeah, I totally would, like, show up day one for Creed 4.
1: Same. Opening <laughs> night. be Jordan. Hello. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm available.
0: Hopefully, this leads to more behind the camera stints for Jordan, because I think he's a talent. Yeah. I he had a real vision for this, executed it well.
1: Yeah. I think he would really just go on and do anything he wants to now. Yeah.
0: And it wasn't something I ever thought that he wanted he never talked about it or anything so it's kind of like a brand new guy on the scene that's like oh new exciting guy awesome yeah selfishly really want more of these two actors together in just other types of movies maybe we could get like you know Kaluuya Brian Tyree Henry Causeway We'd get Jonathan Majors just I, I don't know a lot of young exciting guys yeah put them in a room get them in a real movie no Kevin Feige don't tell him about it Shh. No, 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 no. I think
1: Feige is probably busy at the moment preparing to tell Iger how this latest entry isn't a total disaster.
0: He's got eight of the hardest working interns at Disney furiously rewriting (laughs) the (laughs) Kang Dynasty as we speak. They haven't seen the sunlight in three days.
1: And one poor, godforsaken Rick and Morty writer.
0: (laughs) uh well you know it doesn't look as bad as shazam
1: looks oh god <laughs> it looks so
0: bad <laughs> that one's got a writer from the fast and furious I oh
1: oh god it's gonna make like five bucks and i'm pretty sure zachary levi has already been fired because he's running around making fun of britney spears <laughs> when the highlight of your career is shazam and also at disney prince you don't get to speak
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we got like the highlight of that studio's Release Slate being a double Ezra Miller, Michael Keaton doing Birdman again. I don't
1: know if if this makes Birdman funnier or sadder. (laughs) Both. I think it's both. I think it's both.
0: I think it vindicates Inyoritu, at least.
1: Yeah, I'm sure he's laughing.
0: (laughs) Sitting at home like, God, these fucking gringos, Goddamn, (laughs) They love superhero shit. Uh,
1: Well, the superheroes are going to have to worry about Ghostface next weekend, so.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think something that stuck out to me watching Creed and Creed 3 is that these are, talked a lot about anime today, anime's obviously got a relationship with manga, so in a way, there's a comic book connection there. Yeah. These are like better superhero movies to me than anything Marvel can conjure. One, because mm-hmm. they're real. They have those real emotions.
1: Or, God, the scene when he's running alongside all the motorcycles and the four-wheelers.
0: Or when Marianne sends him the red, white, and blue trunks that say Creed on the front johnson on the back you're like this is this is it you could totally get why they wanted this guy for black panther yeah in ryan coogler his multifaceted talent who could balance all these different things so, uh, one of the writers on creed 3 along with his brother i think mm-hmm.
1: this is a great continuation a great conclusion to a trilogy i hope they keep going but if you view the creed series and by extension the rocky series as modern american mythology I think these really do a fantastic job at being mythological and human at the same time.
0: Yeah, we see how these characters over time become wall adornments in Mickey's gym, you can see Rocky Balboa in the Delphi gym we can see Apollo Creed in Adonis's apartment we got a big thing of Adonis or anytime that he's got a fight, it's his face and Damien's face yeah and they're these larger than life figures, but it's all about what's going on inside of them, and their family drama, and their personal drama.
1: Just why people respond so well to these.
0: I completely agree. It felt like a tonic. It was like, again, the anime thing. Shin Ultraman was a movie that I watched earlier in the year, and that is, you know, based on a Japanese series, it's kind of a superhero thing. so earnest, really hard on its sleeve with all of its values and morals and principles. I feel the same way about this. Not to say that it lacks complexity. But just that when it lands on an idea that matters, it lets that linger and set in
1: resonance. Right, it lets these really soar.
0: We look forward to, hopefully, seeing more in the future. Or Uh whatever else Jordan, Majors, Thompson, Mm -hmm. et al. decide to get up to. That's it for us. Well, thanks so much for coming on and talking about the Creed movies. Of course. Our next endeavor is going to be talking about the year 2013. 10 years, back into the past. 10-year anniversary, 10-year reunion. So thank you guys for listening. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye, everybody.